what we're going to do this morning is we're going to open the scriptures. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 3 and 4. And if you're new, uh, we're, a, we're a Bible teaching church, and so we walk through the scriptures. We're going to do that this morning. But what I wanted to do is I want to show you a picture here. These are your elders, and so uh, we've had great elders. And so, uh, yeah, they're cowboys. They're cowboys. So uh, that's Cliff Ruth right there. Steve Mason. That's Joseph Carrion. That's Ron Williams. That's pretty funny, huh? Yeah. Okay. That's me, the original cowboy. There's Mitch Hino there, and there's Pastor Lucas Miller. So give it up for your elders. So uh, anyway, um, yeah, maybe professional bull riding is in their future, but they're great. So uh, we were there, and um, we we just took a couple days last week to uh, be together and to seek the Lord about a new scripture for our church. I'm going to be sharing that in, uh, in a little bit this morning. So anyway, the title of the message here, the title of the message is this. It's Step Out, Step In, and Stand Firm. Can we say that together? Step Out, Step In, Stand Firm. And so if you want to pull out your message notes there, we have message notes for you if you want to look along there. Uh, we do that because you can remember a whole lot more if you have notes. And so one of the questions that I want to be answering is this, is this question, is what does it look like, what's going to happen if you follow Jesus? So if you're new to the Christian faith, you're thinking about that, we're going to answer that question, what would happen if I follow Jesus? And so uh, I'm just going to review for a moment here, uh, in case you're new. The children of Israel, God's people, they were 40 years in the wilderness there. Now they've come onto the cusp of the promised land, the banks of the Jordan River. They can see it there, but there's a Jordan River before them and God's promise being fulfilled in their life. Where God wants them to go, they had to cross a Jordan River to get there. And so they've been in bondage to the Egyptians for, for a long time, 40 years in the wilderness, and now they're on the brink of entering to the promised land. They're going to face some obstacles and some challenges there. And so, and they have, they'd faced giants, they'd faced walled cities there, uh, superior technology that, that the, the enemies had there. And so now we're going to look at Joshua chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and uh, I'm going to read there from the New Living Translation. It says this, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp there. So God told the people of Israel, I think it's very interesting, that to stop there at the border, the bank of the Jordan River. And so for 72 hours, I want you to imagine this, 72 hours, there they are, they're staring at this impossibility. They're staring at this, this obstacle that they've got to get over to enjoy the promised life, to enjoy Canaan. And so this is what's before them. And it's not like a little pause and then go over, but for three days, there they are, this intimidating, that's it right there, this intimidating river. And so imagine with me if you were there. Imagine that you're there and uh, on the banks, and actually it would swell, uh, historians say, to about 50 times what you're seeing. Some historians say it would be a mile across, because that was at the flood stage, but this is not. But imagine that you're there, you're standing there, and, uh, and what are you going to do? I mean, there's God's people standing before the river, and... Um, uh, they're facing this impossible challenge here. 
And so I think when you become a, a Christ follower, we need to be very clear about this. Be very clear that you're going to face impossible challenges. You're going to face massive obstacles there. Like if you're a student in school, you're going to face challenges with your peers, uh, social media, uh, with your relationships, with your parents. If you're a parent, you're going to face challenges with your, your kids and, uh, and, and dealing with them. Uh, some people here, you have uh, situations with maybe your marriage seems impossible. I think for other people, we have physical ailments, diseases, uh, that our health condition seems impossible. And so when you become a Christ follower, it's not easy street. And uh, you're going to face these massive problems, obstacles, and possibilities, just like the children of Israel did here. And so I think sometimes we, cha- we face situations, maybe in relationships, where we've been wounded or we, we've been hurt. And so we feel like uh, I have this right to be resentful and don't talk to me about forgiveness, what they did to me. This is impossible for me to forgive them. And so I think other people, when you just talk about church and talking about this morning generosity there, people get uncomfortable with that and say, that's for somebody else, but that's not for me. That would be impossible for me to ever do. For other people, just taking the next step spiritually may seem like an impossibility. And you hear about women's ministry or rooted or re-engage or all these small groups and seems intimidating and an obstacle. And for some people, that can feel like an impossibility. Do you remember there in Joshua chapter 1, Joshua kept saying one phrase. And what was that phrase but be strong and courageous? And over and over again, he would tell the people that. And now they needed to be strong and be courageous in this one final obstacle that they were facing here. And so they needed supernatural help. So God now is going to speak to them. Joshua chapter 3 is going to give them three directives, three ways to help them so that they can walk into their promised life there. So we're going to unpack these three directives that are here as they face the Jordan River challenge, a challenge really that all of us are going to face from time to time. And so God's people now, three days dealing with Jordan River drama, God is going to speak to them, continuing Joshua chapter 3, verse 3, giving these instructions to the people. It says, when you see the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, first thing they're to do now is move out from your positions and follow them. The first thing they're to do in your notes is to step out. They're to step out. And so what does that look like here? And so uh, the Ark of the Covenant then that they're to follow, and interestingly, Joshua 3, there's 17 verses. How many times do you think it talks about God's presence, the representation of the presence of God with the people, the Ark of the Covenant? How many times do you think that's mentioned in the chapter? A few times? Five times? Ten times? Fourteen, fourteen times in 17 verses talks about the presence of God with the people here. And so they're stepping out, trusting and following the ark carried on the the shoulders of the priests there. And so this is really a big deal and central to the the passage. Verse 4. Since you've never traveled this way before, they, that is the, the priest with the ark of the covenant, will guide you. Stay about a half mile behind them and keep a clear distance between you and the ark and make sure you don't come any closer. 
Now, why was that? Why would they have to have this distance from the ark? Was it because perhaps they needed to see the ark? And so they had a, a, a visual of the ark there, uh, a couple million people actually there, and they have to stay about a thousand yards behind the ark of the covenant there. And so when it says here that they, the, the priest carrying the ark, is going to guide you. The point being this, is that when you step out, trust God, God will guide you. God wants to guide you. Like a, like a personal little spiritual GPS, he wants to guide you. Like a, a sixth sense where God guides you through his word. God guide, might guide you through someone that speaks to you, God's, uh, God's thoughts into your life there. Um, you may get that, the still small voice of the Holy Spirit where you feel a, a prompting, a nudging, an inner kind of pull there, a stirring there, like an impression that you're to go in this direction. So God wants to guide you, and that's what was happening here. So it says that uh, when we step out in your notes, God will guide you. That's the kind of God that he is that guides us. And so verse 5 says, Then Joshua told the people, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. And so being guided there, there was an issue of the heart. They had to get their hearts ready for God to, to guide them on this journey here. Verse 6. In the morning, Joshua said to the priests, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river there. So they started out and head, went ahead of the people. Verse 7. And the Lord told Joshua, today I'm going to begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. And they will know that I'm with you just as I was with Moses. So remember Joshua there. He's living under the intimidating shadow of the greatest leader ever there, and that was Moses. And so this now is his defining moment. This is his leadership moment. And so uh, this is going to make him or break him. This is his crossroad. This is a turning point in his leadership. And so the pressure is on, and God says to him, when he says you're going to step out, he says, look, I'll be with you. And I think if we can have that reality that God is with us, as God said to Gideon, that you are a man whom I am with. So God is with him. And so in your notes, as you step out, God will be with you. He will guide you. And then we read in verse 8, it says, Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So here's the deal is they had to get their, they had to get their feet wet. And so how do people know that would be like super uncomfortable? Yeah, come on. Think about it. Just think about it, okay? So here's all the people. I'm going to illustrate it this way. God, uh, you like illustrations, don't you? Uh, come on, you like illustrate? Thank you. Okay, that's a little better. So here's all the people. Remember, there's a couple million people. I remember that. And they got, what do they have? They got their stuff, right? They're not just empty-handed, so I want you to see there's a couple million people. Let's roll the video again there for me. So you got a couple million people, and uh, a couple million people are going toward the Jordan River. And there they are. Remember, they're stopping on the bank, and they're stopping on the banks for 72 hours. A lot to think about for 72 hours, right? A lot to think about, 72 hours. So if I'm there, and, uh, I'm there I got my wetsuit, you know, I'm thinking about that. I've got uh, uh, got my snorkel. I'm thinking about got to be. Yep, that was funny. I don't care what you think. And so uh, anyway, and I got I got my fins right. Come on, somebody, come on, somebody. Yeah. So there we are. 
Uh, we're going to cross that, and so two million people. Now think about this. Think about this. So is this a defining moment? Is this an all-in moment? Think about it. What if you're there, you're, on, you're standing in the front line there, and if I was standing in the front line, I might have said, hey, Phil, you want cuts? You want to have cuts here? I might have said, hey, I, oh, I got, I got to tie my shoes. You know, hey, uh, you guys, you can go in front of me. I'm going to tie my shoes. I forgot some things in the in the tent. That's right. I forgot some things in the tent. I'm going to go back to the tent. And anybody, uh, I'm feeling like you can, you can have cuts and, and stand in front of me there. But think about this. Think about this. Is that there was 2 million people, and you're in the front, and you step into the water. Do you think you can step out of the water with 2 million people? People coming down on you? No, this is an all-in all in moment. You've got no option now. Now you are all in there. And so that's what they were facing there. This really is an all-in moment there. And I want to talk about that a little bit in just a moment here, about an all-in moment. And so God is saying to them, you've got you've to trust me, and you've got to step in, and you've got to get your feet wet. And so the next thing is not only the directive that you've got to step out, your comfort zone, but you got to step in. You got to step in. And so it says that here, they got to step in here, take a few steps into the river there. Now, how many people think they were fearful? How many people think that they were fearful? Yeah, think they're, they're fearful? Yeah, I think Joshua was fearful. Yeah, he was very fearful. The people are fearful. That's all they can see, and it's much bigger than what you saw, though. So verse 9 says, So Joshua told the Israelites, Come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. And so they're taking a step of faith. Do you think their God is encouraging them through Joshua that the Lord your God, he he is among you there. He's going to drive out all the ites there. God is bigger and more powerful than than all the things you're going to face when you get into the promised land, which is a good point here. That is this that not only did they face the obstacle of the Jordan, but they would face more obstacles once they got into the promised land there. And so, so faith declares that I know that the living God is with me here. And so verse 11 says this, there's given more reassurance. Look, the ark of the covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River will lead you. So you're going to be led. You step out, you step in. God's not just going to leave you there to figure it out on your own. He will lead you in that journey there. So now what they do, they choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. Verse 13, the priest will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. Watch this, watch. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream. And the river will stand up like a wall here. So a couple million people, this didn't work like the Red Sea. The Red Sea, they didn't have to do that. But now they have to actually, they have to touch their feet in the water here. And so uh, how scared were the people there at this no turning back moment? No options to turn back. Now you are all in. I think we all have those moments. Don't, you know what I'm talking about? Where you'll be faced, are, are you all in or are you not all in? I've had a few of those, and one of them I wanted to share was uh, when I got out of school, I finally finished school, and uh, I was kind of sorting out what to do with my free time, and I had an opportunity to do youth ministry. I had an opportunity to do youth ministry. I was at a church. They didn't have, just down the freeway, they didn't have a youth ministry at all. 
And so I didn't know the first thing about youth ministry. I, like zero, I was zero point. I didn't know, know anything. But I felt, that, I felt the Holy Spirit kind of nudging me and prompting me and stirring me that I was to do youth ministry. And so I went just cold turkey, just showed up right in front of the pastor. And I said, hey, I, I, I'm new. It's my first time. And I feel like I'm supposed to do youth ministry. Do you have anybody to do youth ministry? Says, we don't have anybody. And so I did a little interview thing, got chosen to, to be the youth pastor. And so the point is this, is that uh, I felt God guide me to do that. And it was an all-in moment. I had many options of what I could have done with my life there. It was volunteer. And I, I put in a lot of time, at least 20 hours a week, and uh, volunteered my time. And so it was an all-in moment there. And what I'm saying is that like the children of Israel, stepping in, that was an all-in moment. And you have those in your life there where you need to decide, am I in or am I not in here? And you know the people there, some of them, uh, they step all in. And what does that mean? Like they didn't know, does this mean I'm, I'm all in at my, my ankle deep? I'm all in. Did it mean that I'm going to be at knee? Did it mean I'm at my waist? Does it mean I'm at my neck deep? You know, how much is, is all in? And they just had to trust God there to step in in that all in moment. And so I really believe, I want to give a definition of faith, new definition. And that is that faith equals wet feet. Think about that. Faith equals wet feet. And so this all-in moment, this, this, this no turning back moment here that uh, before, they, before their feet hit the water, they had to decide that, that we're all in there. Now, how many people would rather, in the Christian life, rather follow with dry feet? You have to raise your hands. You don't have to, you have to raise your hands, actually. Okay, how many people would rather fall in with, follow with dry feet? Does God honor dry feet? Does God honor cold feet? Does God honor wet feet? The answer is yes. Yeah, that's what God honored here. And so how did he honor wet feet? He pushed the water miraculously, supernaturally, caused the water to like, be like two walls. Not only that was the water stopped, but at high flood season, but then they walked on dry ground. They weren't like sloshing through the mud and everything. Another miracle there we don't even think about, that the ground was dry. Imagine couple million people with all their stuff walking through the mud. I mean, uh, you know, and some people say that it was, a, some scholars say it could have been a mile wide. Uh, that's a pretty crazy thought there. So it's dry ground. And so God honored then their faith there that they got their feet wet. And so we walk, and what is, what is, what is that saying to us? It means that we're walking by sight or we're walking by faith. See, we want to walk by, we want to walk by sight. By nature we do. We want to say, well, I'll step in after God parts the Jordan River, after all the mud is dried up, and it's, it's easy. That's when I'll step in. That's not how God operates. The way God operates is this. Is God said, look, you've got to get in. You step out, you step in, and when you step in, then I will move. But how uncomfortable was it? They were either ankle weight, ankle deep, waist deep, neck deep, thinking, God, are you ever going to show up here? Like, when are you going to show up when the water is rising there? And so by faith then, they stepped out. You know, it's easy. It's easy in the Christ-following life to step out and just live by sight all the time. So it really takes no faith to do that. And so why would God then, why would he tell them to face the Jordan River, to face an impossibility? 
Why would he do that? I mean, do they need to, fo- do they need to trust God and have faith and follow God if there's never an impossibility? I mean, do you, if there's never an obstacle, do you need to, do you need to exercise faith? You really don't. And so God put that impossibility in their life then, so they had to trust God. They had to look to God's hand to help them. So verse 15. So it says, it was a harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge then, the water above the point began backing up a great distance away in a town called Adam, which is near Zetharen. Verse 17, and the priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, watch, here's the third directive, they stood firm. They stood firm on dry ground. In the middle, watch, the deepest part, the middle there of the river, the deepest part okay, of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground till all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. So the third point is this. Not only do you step out, not only do you step in, but you've got to stand firm after all of this here. And so God rolls back the waters, and they're like a wall there, and the people walk through. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the priests. So you got two million people, uh, which that, how long does it take to get two million people through the river? Even if it's like wide, it takes a long time. And so, and imagine you're a priest there. You're a priest, and you're looking, and you can see like there's the water, the walls of water, and the people are just kind of slogging through there. I just made that word up. They're just kind of going through. And uh, I would have been like, Okay, let's like let's get this thing moving. Hurry up. Like 1,775,441. Like let's get this thing going. How long is the water going to be there and be held back? And so they stand firm though. Picture of us then, after you step out, after you step in, there's that temptation where you don't want to stand firm. Like, how long is it going to take two million stinking people to get through this thing? What if, what if God gets impatient and the water comes back in a little sooner and you can lose patience? You can, you can lose heart there. Uh, you can uh, not want to keep on keeping on what God has for your life. And sometimes you just need to stand firm. The Bible says in Ephesians, after having done all that you you know how to do, stand firm. And so anyway, so God now is going to pull off daring rescue. The people are wondering, is God, when is God going to show up? And he shows up there, parts the Jordan River. Do you think it was like crazy uncomfortable for the people? When, it was crazy. It was crazy. Do you think that the story that speaks of our lives, you're going to face things that are crazy uncomfortable for you? Huh? Do you, do you think that? Do, do you, so these things, the Bible says, were written for us. That we, through these stories, Old Testament stories, would gain hope. And so, yeah, do you think you're going to be stretched beyond your comfort zone? Yeah, see, here's the bottom line is that faith really is a risk. It's a risk. A risk to step out. A risk to step in. And then to, and to stand firm there. And so, so what do you do? God blesses you. God meets you there. What do you do then after all that? Chapter 4 tells us what they do. After God met them there, then they built a monument or a memorial to the Lord. Now, why would you do that? Why would, why would you build a memorial? They did it with stones. Let's look at Joshua on the screens here. Joshua chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. 
It says, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So in your notes there, make a memorial, make a monument, do something to help you remember what God has done. That's what he's saying here. And so we don't have 12 tribes here at Sanctuary, but we have been a church for over 12 years. And so uh, anyway, so why the 12 stones? So it's stones from each of the family groups there. And so God gives Joshua a new assignment, a new assignment. And that then is, after God has moved, is to memorialize the moment. I want to talk about how you can build this into your own life, that you could actually memorialize God showing up moments, and why I think that's important to do. And so for these people, here's what happened. Before this moment, they really didn't know what to call them, but after they passed through the Jordan River, you know what they called them? They called them the, the Hebrews. That's what they called them. And so, and you know what Hebrews means? The people that cross over. That began to be their identity as the people that crossed over there because they faced a, an overwhelming challenge there. And so what they did then is they memorialized a defining moment. And I'm suggesting that you would do the same thing. I'm suggesting that as a church, that's something that we would want to do, to memorialize those defining moments in our history. And so uh, why do you build a monument? Verse 6 and 7. Look at Joshua chapter 4. And we will use these stones to build a memorial. And in the future, watch, it's for the future to remember, because how easy is it to forget? In the future, your children will ask you, hey, what, like, what? So I'm going to illustrate it this way, okay? I'm illustrate it this way. So here's some stones, okay? So they did something much larger. Just, this just to illustrate the point. So here's what would happen. They, they built which significant, took them 16 days there at Gilgal, but just using this as an illustration. They built a monument, and why would they build a monument there? Because see, otherwise they're going to forget, successive generations are going to forget. But now there's a monument that every time they walk by the monument, the kids would be like this, like, what's the, dad, like, what's the deal with all the stones here? Like, Like, what's this all about? So the monument was that they would ask the, the children would ask the question. Secondly, that the parents could answer the question about the monument. So uh, again, I want to I want to expand on this. And they could say, "Hey, this is the place right here. We're against all gods. Let me tell you what God did. God met us and see that Jordan River. Yeah, Dad, that's like amazing, huge. Yeah, God parted that Jordan and we walked across on dry ground. And these stones are from that very place. And they're creating." in the minds of the people, retelling the story generation after generation, not only for them, but for future generations. And so you have to, what I'm saying is, as an individual, as a family, as a church, you got to be about building monuments. And so what does that, what does that look like? You see, why would God insist on a physical reminder about what he had done? Why would God do that? And so to tell the story and to keep telling the story, to keep the story alive there. And so, because the story is going to go down in history, and a few thousand years later, we're still talking about the story that is there, memorialized there. And so God knows we need to be reminded. 
Be reminded of what? Be reminded that God is able. When you face obstacles, when you face impossibilities, God is able to do more than you could even get your mind around that you could ask or think there. And so God is a God who controls even the flow of the river there. See, God is a God that is, that, that is bigger than our obstacles. God is a God that's bigger than our impossibilities here. And so a rock, rock memorial not only reminded them of what God had done, but what God would do. And so stones there which scream God's story. Stones in which would shout God's story there. Stones which did declare that he is faithful in that day and he'll be faithful in our day too. Stones that just keep retelling the story again and again and again. Stones that mark a defining moment in their history. Uh, A God moment here that God has been good and God will not fail us. And so this is what we're going to do as a church. I want to just just tell you a couple of illustrations from my own life. And so uh, some of you know that I've been to Africa, and so uh, one of the last times I went, the second, uh, second from the last time that I went, I was there, and so some people had made a donation. The donation they made was this. They said, hey, we've got some flashlights, and they, and they gave these flashlights, it says Lomeland University Medical Center. In case they had an emergency at the hospital, they made these flashlights, and there's no batteries. They're not battery-driven. They're, uh, they're, they're, uh, you wind them up, it kind of recharges it, and so this way, if they had an emergency there, a big earthquake, they'd have like a zillion of these flashlights. So they asked me what I was going, somebody asked me when I was going to Africa, they said, hey, would you like some of these flashlights? And they were free so that, yeah, I'll, I'll take the flashlights. And so and I had no idea what I was going to do with the flashlights. And so that's what happened was, is that on the way back to the airport after I'd been there for about 10 days, and I'm thinking to myself, I gave some flashlights away. I was thinking like, what the heck were they flashlights for? And so... Uh, Anyway, I gave some away, and I didn't really see the big purpose besides some gifts. And then I came to this, this village, and I met the chief uh, of a rural village in Zimbabwe. And I said, hey, chief, how's it going? Like, we're, we're literally on our way to the airport. We're leaving. And we squeezed in this last-minute meeting. Hey, chief, how's it going? And oh, it's going terrible. It's really bad. And I, I said, well, chief, like, what's wrong? And he said, all our crops have been destroyed by the elephants. 2,000 people here, we lost all our crops, we lost all our food. And he said, and we could have survived that we threw rocks at him, doesn't do any good anymore. Our only hope was if we would have had flashlights and that we could shoot the flashlights in, into their eyes. I don't know anything about how that works, but this is just what he, what he told me. And so... And he said, but the problem is we get flashlights and the batteries run out. So I had stockpiled about 50 flashlight of these flashlights in the, in the truck. And I said, hey, chief. I said, come on over here. And so I said, chief, come on over. And so the chief walks over there. And I, and I opened up, I opened up uh, our van. And he looked up. I said, they're rechargeable, chief. I said, watch. They work like, like this. And the chief says, this is a miracle. This is, he was beside you. This is a miracle. And so, so I kept, I kept, uh, I kept a flashlight. And so, because this is like a memorial to me that even when I don't understand, God sometimes blesses me. And, uh, 
and I, and I brought this to a place it, it speaks of God's faithfulness. God wanted to bless someone else. And so I just keep it around and uh, uh, I keep things on my desk, things that are memorials. This is just a little memorial to me of, of God's faithfulness in ways that I don't always see what God is doing in my life here. So stories then um, are going to be told. So here's what we're going to do in our new campus. I want to show you this. So what we're going to do in our new campus, look at this. Is we're going to do this very thing here. So we're going to have, we're going to have a, 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 taken after Joshua 3 we're get, and 4. I mean, we're going to do that very thing. Uh, we're going we're gonna to have like 2020 purchased our, our, our first campus. There we'll have scriptures like um, the elders just picked a scripture and they pick a scripture every year like an example like this. We will have, you know, small boulders and we'll put the scriptures on those boulders. Why are we doing that? Because we're going to tell a story. We're going to tell a story for generations to see God's story that is being written today through you. And you, you know what? Let me say this. Uh, when we're in the new building, it's not going to be about the building. It will never be about the building. You know what it'll be about? It'll be about the stories behind the building. That's what it'll be about. I, I want to tell you just a story real quick here. So I uh, get these envelopes almost every week. So here's a story. Somebody gave $59, right? $59. Uh, and so, and, and she, she said this. Here's, here's where the money came from. Look at that. This is her writing. The lottery, I don't know how you won the lottery, Bunko wins, must be a Bunko expert, and stopped Starbucks. Stopped, this is it right here. Stopped going to Starbucks, saving money for that. Took my money from my Bunko uh, experiences and whatever the lottery thing. And so, and, uh, and here's $59. And tell you what, see, these are the stories. This is what it's going to be about. It's the stories that God is writing behind the scenes there. So it's awesome. And so, but we want to memorialize, want to memorial, memorialize individually and as a community what God has done in our lives and tell the story. So here's the scripture that the elders, um, all of them um, individually, I had them vote. We had three final scriptures. They were down to all of them voted on the same exact scripture. And this is it. Isaiah 43, 19. For I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Don't you see it? Indeed. I will make a way. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And so that, I'm going to unpack that some more. But that's the scripture that the elders chose for you for this year, which will be memorialized on a rock a small boulder, whatever, on our new campus. It's awesome, isn't it? It's awesome. Just real quick, just real quick, some final thoughts on memorializing. So, a couple stories and then we'll be done. Another thing that was a memorial to me was Forest Home. Because I went there when I was 17 years old and for the first time in my life, having never been to church, Jesus was real. I didn't know what to do with it, but he became real. And so they had a prayer chapel there at Forest Home. I don't know if you've been to it. It's an old historic prayer chapel. And so I went to that chapel. And I remember reading the stories as a 17-year-old. And reading the stories, uh, there's all those booklets, you know. And I'd read stories after story after story. And, and, I, and I just knew that, that, that God is real and Jesus is real. And there, there's something more to, to that than, than I've ever experienced. So but so I returned to that chapel, all that to say this. I returned to that chapel.
to go and be in that chapel time and time and time again. It was like a memorial to me where God was real. I even went on dates and I'd bring my date to go pray at the prayer chapel. It meant that much to me before I was married. It meant that much to me. So you build these, these memorials into your life. Whether, whether it's something like, like this on your desk, you know, that you're looking at or a place that you visit, but you build that into your life. A single mom, this is how she did it with, with, her, with her son there. Is that he wrote and said, my mom made breakfast for me every Saturday morning and she sat and watched cartoons with me and this just built a kind of an anchor and a, a security into my life. It became like a, a memorial there. A woman says that one monument in her life was that her dad would take her out on a date night every Friday night while she was in high school. And, and, then, and, and the place that she went there became like a memorial to her, a memory there that God etched inside her heart there. And so many things that we can do to do this, but let us um, not just be hearers of the word, but be doers also. Yeah? Right on. This is the word of the Lord to you this week. I hope it encourages you to step out, step in, stand firm, and make a memorial. You can do that. You can do that. This is a message. Yep. So this is a message to be lived out. We leave here, and now we live out what we have heard. And so I want to pray for you. I want to close by praying God's blessing over your life. And we just want to ask you to put yourself in a position to receive God's blessing if you would do that. And so, Father, thank you that you are good and you are God and there is no one like you. And thank you, Lord, that by your love, you envelop us, your spirit, you guide us, your peace, you fill us, your shield, you protect us, your wisdom would be known by us. And, Father, I pray for everyone here that they would experience you, your power and light in moments of darkness. They would experience your strength in moments of weakness and your comfort in every storm. Father, I pray for them that you would renew them, that you'd reveal Jesus to them. They would indeed step out and step in and stand firm. Have those all-in moments, Father. You're here this morning and you need to say yes to Jesus and yes to his forgiveness, and you've never done that. I just want to give you that opportunity. And so if you want to be a part of his family, you want forgiveness, you want to say yes to him and be his follower, you heard about what it looks like this morning. If that's you and you want Christ in your life, just raise your hand with our eyes closed, our heads bowed, right on, and the sides, in the back, right on, right on. God bless you. Are those others? You want, you want to receive forgiveness. You want to be right with God. Are there others? God bless you. God bless you. So pray this prayer. Father, you see their hands raised, their hearts open, their desire to walk with you. I pray that you would pray this prayer. Those of you that raised your hands, dear, silently, dear God, dear God, I take Jesus as my Savior. Come into my life. Wash me of my sin and make me right with you. I receive you as my Savior in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for us that you would do a work in us, that we would get our feet wet, that we would trust you. Father, I pray that you would do this and that you would do more.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. God bless you. See you next time.